actually, as Jim mentioned, we are going through a name change. We are currently New Community Church. On September 25th, Sunday, September 25th, uh, we will be officially launching with our new name, Thrive Church. So mark that date in your calendar. It's going to be a fun Sunday. We're going to have a brunch before service, uh, which, is, which is great if you're here before service. So make sure you're here before service that Sunday to get some food. We're going to be out actually on the grass in front of the school. We're going to set up some, some easy ups. We're going to have some tables out there. Uh, we're going to fellowship and, and celebrate what God is doing in this new season as a church. Um, so confusion cleared up? All right, good. <laughs> you also got, you distracted yourself. It was funny because we want to make sure we're actually going to pray over all students, not just college students. So if you're elementary, elementary or uh, junior high or high school, uh, that includes you as well. So be a part of that. Um, it's an honor to pray over our kids. We love kids at this church. And uh, I, I love that we don't provide babysitting. Uh, we, we train hearts and minds for eternity. Uh, we also equip our kids to be missionaries on their campuses. And part of that back-to-school emphasis is really commissioning, commissioning them uh, to go onto their campuses and make an impact. We're going to get into the message here in just a minute. But uh, I've got something exciting uh, to share with you this morning. And I'm going to invite someone up in just a minute here. Um, but, but before... Megan and I came to New Community just over a year ago. I actually served at a church as a missions pastor for four years, and I loved it. Loved being a missions pastor, got to take teams all over the world, and God really birthed in my heart a love and a passion for, uh, for missions. Now, we, we're on mission as believers in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, or Glendora, California, USA, to the ends of the earth. Which means we need to be looking for opportunities to share the love of Jesus everywhere we go. I met this, this gentleman who's, uh, him and his wife have now been a part of our church for a few months. Um, but we actually had a, a kind of a neat connect. And, and actually, Brian, why, why don't you come on up? I'm going to invite Brian to come up. And uh, is Jenny coming up with you or are you you're going to hang and just wave and smile? All right, all right, Good. So, so Brian had started coming. He's connected with Jacques and Christy. They had a relationship and, and got invited to come. And I was like, who is this guy? I want to get to know him. He just looked like the kind of guy. I'm like, man, you're an interesting guy. I want to know you, right? Because I have total hair envy. And, uh, and um, we were here in church after a Sunday service. And, uh, and there was a bunch of us talking. And I had my wallet in my hand. And, and talking to Jacques, and I got distracted. Well, Jacques, Jacques drove off, and then I couldn't find my wallet. Turns out, I'd left my wallet on the hood of his car. Jacques drove home to Duarte, and I'm panicking. I'm texting him. I'm calling him, but he's not answering because he's a good driver, and he doesn't answer his phone while he's driving. The, the response I get is a picture of the hood of his car with my wallet sitting on it. This is all going somewhere. You're like, what's this got to do with it? We drove out to Duarte, an unplanned visit that day, and the AVs were over at the Lillevoise house. And for the next couple of hours, we got to sit and talk missions. And I got to hear the heart that this man has for the world. And so I asked Brian to come and share for a few minutes about what he's doing, the things that God's put on his heart. 
and how he's actually go, taking that step from, hey, I have this passion to I'm actually doing something with it. And it's, and it's a pretty bold step. So, Brian, tell us about what you're up to and what God's doing in your life. Thank you, Pastor Barry. Absolutely. Well, I'm just as surprised as you are that I'm standing here right now talking to you guys. Um, well, to keep it short and simple, um, I am a product of missions. And in other words, that means I am the infamous missionary kid. And, uh, it's, and you know, was, uh, what Pastor Barry was referring to in our conversation is, uh, you know, I, I've launched myself this year. Uh, God's brought me through this journey, and it's kind of come to this boiling point. And, and this year, I, I threw myself out there, and, I, and I've kind of announced and let people know in my, you know, in my circle of people that I know uh, that I am what I call, and this is a little bit out of the ordinary, um, a project-based missionary. You know, it's a little bit out of the box, but since you guys have a pastor like Pastor Barry here, this is, you'll, you'll be able to grasp this really easily. Uh, and what I mean by project-based missionary is I, I, I'm not a missionary that's uh, sent to one place only to do work in that one place. Um, what, what God has put on my heart and has, has kind of given me the vision to do is, uh, is, is to use my gifts and the talents that he's given me and the experience of life of being a missionary kid has brought me to the point to where what I, what I look forward to doing as a project-based missionary is, is, is I facilitate missions slash humanitarian efforts. Now, what does that mean? It means I help to design, I help to implement and manage certain missional projects. And uh, throughout the years, I've gone on missions trips. I've got, I've got a whole list of horror stories of what I've seen, especially from the perspective of a missionary kid who's lived, you know, whose parents are still today missionaries, and, and, and you know, and I come from that perspective. And, and I implement that, I bring that with me uh, to try to develop projects that would probably, that would be a little bit more effective, I guess you could say, you know, or effective in a different way. So, speaking of the project, and if you have those pictures, you can be begin to kind of show those. And this is my first project, uh, the first of hopefully many. This project has to do with, uh, with an orphanage in Haiti, and you know, as parents, and I have, I, have, I have two children. I know many of you here today have children or, or, or grandparents or uncles and aunts. There's children involved in your lives. As a parent, you know, we're, we know that we need to bring up and raise our children in the ways of the Lord. Uh, we need to disciple them and to be, as Pastor Barry even put it, be missional. You know, to be missionaries where they at the place and the time that they're at. But what about those who don't have that, who don't have an aunt or uncle, who don't have grandparents, who don't even have a single mother or single father taking care of them, more specifically orphans? Now, several years back, I, uh, on a missions trip, a medical team that I led, I ran into this orphanage, and for years, God has just put something in my heart. like, I couldn't forget about them, you know? And so what can I do? And every time I went back, I always would buy 
a month's supply of food for them, you know, and, and follow up with them, see how they're doing. And, you know, they know me by name when I get there. I'm surprised. And a little kid comes running up, ah, Brian Avey. Hey, you, you know, wow. So there's a little something there. And, and then finally it came to me, that thought. They don't only need a plate of food, but they need the spiritual food. And, you know, so the, so, so the idea of this project really is basically to set up ongoing activities for the orphans of this particular orphanage that I know, a little located a little bit outside of the, of the area of Port-au-Prince or kind of um, remote, you know, not too remote, but enough, you know, uh, to set up these uh, ongoing, an ongoing program of activities that will basically help the children, to help these children thrive, not only as children, but then to eventually flourish as adult Christians. And that's the main objective. And the way I plan on doing that is really through partnerships with the local community, and that will open up opportunities for even local churches to speak into the lives of these children, you know, so it's not only, you know, a, a group of foreigners coming there every once in a while, making an impact and then leave, and then the kids are, you know, oh, okay, well, you know, when can I expect another group of foreign missionaries to come and, you know, show me some attention? No, it's an opportunity for people who, who are being discipled there to disciple, you know, and, and serve as mentors to children, and, and I'm looking to try to facilitate that somehow. That's awesome. Um, I've got, you know, uh, a, a, a very, uh, 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 how you, a very honorable man, pastor there that I work with. My my partner in Haiti is he's, he's a pastor of a church there, and he's the main guy, and I'm, and he's and he's the person that's going to help me navigate through this. And anyway, so that is the basis of the project. That's uh, what we're looking at. I have. Um, some information, uh, newsletters that I'll have in the back. It gives a little bit more detail and how this could impact our local congregation. Right. You know, and just to kind of name a few, um, as you can see here, uh, Pastor Barry, uh, I, I, I listed it out, really, the focus of the trip, you know, to initiate the ongoing project for the benefit of the children uh, and to study po uh, possibilities available in that community where they're at. To, and also to strengthen the relationships and partnerships that I have over there. Um, but the effect that it could have on us is that it can open the door also for more missions opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it can open the door for more affordable missions opportunities because Haiti, it costs a lot less to go to Haiti than to go to a whole different continent. Um, also, you... You, via myself, and you can receive frequent updates on, this ch on children specifically that you and your family are probably praying for uh, and things like that. So there's, a, there's like a direct connect. You know, you know, uh, you know that what you're praying for and, and potentially giving towards is something that's more tangible because there's a direct connect to that, uh, to that project, to those children. In that community so awesome so brian's going to be at the ba uh, back of the sanctuary after service if you want more information he has a, he printed up a whole bunch of these 
Uh, it's a great way to connect with him. His website is actually on the newsletter, and we have a picture of it up, up here. And uh, he's, he's got some great blog articles in there. He has descriptions of some of the, pro the projects that are going on. The thing that, that impacts me about this, we, we all know we live in a changing world, right? You guys agree with that? The world is changing rapidly, which means that our, our, the way that we are, our strategies for reaching the world need to change as well. Traditional missions looks one of two ways. It's either you're deployed as a long-term missionary in, an, in a country, like, like your parents were, uh, which, is, which is great, uh, or you go on a short-term missions trip, which many of, how many of you have been on a short-term missions trip? Okay, so a whole bunch of you. I love leading teams, but, but here's what I know. Spending 10 days in a country will be a drop in the bucket of, of what, what could be effective in that nation. That doesn't mean we don't go, but being strategic in why we go and what we're going to do uh, so that we're good stewards of God re God's resources and that we're actually helping one of, the, one of the questions that hasn't been asked a lot in global missions is, what do you actually need us to come do? Right? I, I ask that questions of missionary, question of missionaries and pastors, and, and I get this response all the time. No one's ever asked me that. So when we start listening and saying, what is the opportunity? What do you need us to do? Brian becomes a connecting point here in the States for not just our church, but for other churches. So his his organization and his heart is to build that bridge and make those connections. See, because I don't know what's in your heart, but maybe as he's been speaking, you're going, wait a minute, I want to be a part of that. I want to do that. And guess what? It doesn't have to be a ministry of this church. You know why it's a ministry of this church? Because Brian is a part of this church, right? And it doesn't have to get weird. Can I just, it doesn't have to get all weird, like, Oh, no, you can't share about that. If we don't get the, you know who gets the glory? God gets the glory. And kingdom-mindedness and kingdom is, is really impacted around the world, and lives are changed like these kids. So he mentioned he's going in November. You're going to hear more, not just about what he's doing, because this is expanding and opening up the door for us in missions. We're going to Kenya next year as well. And so God's starting to move us in that direction and, and opening opportunities for missions. But Brian is going in November. Uh, and he's doing a, a scouting trip. Uh, he's going out to build more relationship, to deepen that relationship. Uh, he, he speaks English, Portuguese, a bit of French. And some Haitian Creole. And some Haitian Creole. And so he is learning the language uh, so he can really get to know the people and build the trust, build those partnerships. Um, and so this is the point where uh, we were talking in the back one Sunday a couple weeks ago, and he said, hey, he gave me this, and we had, we had talked about it, and he said, we're going. And I said, hey, would you like to come share in front of the church? And, and your response was, what? <laughs> really? Because here's the thing. That trip is going to cost him $2,000. It's going to cost him $2,000 to go. And I said, I want our church to have the opportunity to partner with you, to stand with you, to be able to send you uh, and, and release this vision that God's given you. And so here's what we've done as a church with our leadership, our church council. We're actually going to partner with Brian. If you would like to support him financially, at this point, uh, he's, not, he's, he's in the process with his own nonprofit status. So we're going to step in and be a help with that. Uh, if you would like to support Brian, what you can do if you write a check or you give cash, just write on that envelope, write Haiti Mission Trip. 
write Haiti, don't write Brian Avey, just write a Haiti missions trip. This week, if you'd like to give online, it's not live yet, but this week our, on our online giving, uh, Haiti missions trip will be added there as well. And whatever you give towards that trip will go directly to helping support Brian Go, helping to buy food for that orphanage. And we're just going to trust that God's going to open some really amazing doors. Does that sound good? Isn't this cool? It's really cool. Um, I want you to come stand right up front and... Ginny, you've got to come up. We're going to pray over both of you. Um, I'm going to snag that from you. And, and here's why I'm doing this. Megan and I, one of the passions we have is marriage. And we've learned this in our own ministry is even if you're the one who's doing a lot, a lot of the work and, and, and you're the one going, you're one flesh. And so we're going to pray over you as such. Because I know that when he's gone, it's not easy for you. Right, And you need that support, and we get to be that support for the AVs when, when Brian's out on trips or taking teams. And, and so we want to partner with you. In fact, I'm going to invite Megan to come up and join me. Come right up front, right up here, front and center. I want you guys to extend your hands. Would you pray over this couple? Father God, thank you for dreams that go from being just dreams to being reality. And Lord, I know in talking with Brian that that this has been a step of faith, a not even a step of faith. Lord, it's been a leap of faith. And Lord, after years of frustration and, and not knowing how to, to move forward, Lord, that he finally just got to that place and said, God, I'll trust you and I'll step out on the water. And so God, as he has, as him and Ginny, Lord, look to the future, God, that you would bless their family, that you would bless their marriage, God, that you would strengthen them. I pray that you would uh, be their strong tower, that no attack of the enemy would have any place in their life, Father God. I pray, Lord, that this trip in November would be effective, Lord, that you would make the connects that need to be made, Lord, that the relationships that need to be established, Lord. And uh, God, I pray that this couple would have a global impact Lord, that lives around the world, that countless lives around the world would be impacted for you, that heaven would be populated because of their obedience. I pray specifically for their finances. I pray for a release of financial blessing in their lives. Lord, that they would not lack at all in any way whatsoever. And we give you praise and glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so here's your work. Here's your assignment. Other than praying for them, please pray. And, it, and if the Lord is tugging on your heart and speaking to you about giving, please give. Um, but you need to have the follow-up conversation because we could have gone for a couple of hours. And there's some awesome stories. So connect after service and then invite them to lunch. Figure out a time to hang out, get to know them, and hear their heart. Amen? Give, give these guys a hand. Absolutely. There you go. So good. I have been to Haiti multiple times myself, and uh, the opportunities for ministry there are huge and wide open. And I got to tell you, the people, especially the kids, just love it. They just love it when we're able to come and share life with them and. Um, their faces just light up. Man, it will melt your heart. So amazing. Matthew chapter 26. If you would turn in your Bibles this morning, Matthew 26. We are in part five, week five, of our series on emotionally healthy spirituality. 
emotionally healthy spirituality. And the theme this morning, the topic this morning, is enlarging your soul through grief and loss. Enlarging your soul through grief and loss. And I imagine there's a few people who are going, oh, why did I come to church today? Right? Doesn't that just sound like a fun subject? Enlarging your your soul through grief and loss. In fact, part of our response to even that title really speaks to how well we understand the subjects of grief and loss in the church and how well we do processing grief and loss. How many of us, and I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of us have ever had an encounter, either as the one who's in the midst of grief and loss, or you encounter someone in the midst of grief and loss, and they share your story, and you're stuck, you just don't know what to do. You kind of get that deer in the headlights, like, oh no, what do I do now? Or, Or maybe what starts running through your head is, which verse do I quote? Lord Jesus, just give me a verse so that I don't say something dumb. I've I'll raise my hand. I've been there. When I was a young pastor, um, I still am a young pastor, but when I was a younger pastor, uh, the church I was on staff at, I was a junior high pastor, and, and one of our requirements as a church was that we would do hospital visitation every week. There was a list of, of people in the hospital as a church of about 2,000 people. And so with that many people, or most weeks there were one or two, maybe even more people in the hospital. And then we also had a number of people who were in convalescent homes. And so we would go and do visitation. Can I just be honest with you? I hated it. I know, right? Awkward. But I did. It was so hard. I would go to hospitals. I remember one time I was at Kaiser and Bellflower and I sat in the parking lot for an hour before I went in because I knew I was walking in to a situation that was bleak. Oh, and I couldn't stand it because I didn't know what to say. I thought the default setting for pastors, by the way, was you walk in with your Bible and you open to the 23rd Psalm because that's just where you go. And I had pictures of myself standing next to someone's bed just reading the 23rd Psalm. Thankfully, because I was required, and I'm thankful now for that experience, here's what I learned, is that more often than not, what people just need is for you to be with them. To just sit, hold their hand, cry, and just be there. Later on, when we pastored in Alaska... Our first year, we had two babies that were born that were in the NICU, in the NICU. Uh, We had one guy who was going through liver failure, ended up passing away. I spent hours in the hospital with Greg. We had a lady who had a car accident who had 23 surgeries in one year. We had a shoulder replacement, a knee replacement. I was in the hospital more that first year, and i got to tell you, I was so thankful that the Lord had prepared me to just sit with people in the midst of their grief and loss. But if we were to be honest with ourselves, the reality is is that we don't do well when it comes to pain, when it comes to loss in our own lives and in the lives of the other. And when I say we, I mean the church. It's a tough place. It's a tough conversation. And so uh, I remember watching the movie Pollyanna. Anyone 
like Pollyanda, right? There's the, there's the hellfire and brimstone where the chandeliers are shaking, or we preach the happy verses. But you know, right in the middle is the reality of people's lives and what they're walking through. And we as a church, as people, as the bride of Christ, need to be ready to have those conversations and go there. The, the key word here is enlarge. Enlarging your soul through grief and loss. Enlarging. See, from the moment we're born, we're born into a world where we experience loss. Am I right? We're born into a world where we, the moment we leave the womb, we're experiencing loss in some way or another. I remember when our kids were, were trying to get them off the pacifier. And you talk about experiencing loss. One of our kids loved like the blankets with the little silky edges and they would, they would play, you know, kind of hold it and they would suck. The, and it was just this little comfort thing. We were on a road trip actually once and we realized we left the blanket at home and, and we're like, oh no, what are we going to do? And my wife in her infinite wisdom grabs a t-shirt, extra t-shirt in the car and realizes that the tag on the t-shirt is silky and it did the trick. The problem then was, I forget which child it was actually, they, they would grab t-shirts, so it was all the t-shirts were worn out because of the tags. It was, was it Micah? He's looking at me back there. Thank God he got through that um, last year. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Love you, Micah. One day we will lose everything. The Bible says that everything we experience in this life is temporary. The very life itself, our jobs, our plans, our loved ones, everything. We'll lose it all and we'll go to another place. And so we can't ignore loss because it's a part of this life. It's a part of who we are. And honestly, it's, it's a critical part of discipleship. Learning to grow into spiritual maturity by embracing Loss. Now, not being excited about it. Cake, I love that. Just don't make it weird. Oh, I just love... No, it's not that. But it's being real about who we are. And in the midst of that, God disciples us. What is that process? Making us and conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. So we look more like His Son every day. That's what Romans chapter 8, which by the way, that's the verse that people quote, right? Romans eight twenty eight. all things work together for good, brother. Yeah, but this sucks right now. Yeah. <laughs> right? In context, it says all things work together for good for those who love God and called it according to his purpose, who are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, his son. That's the context. So God will work things, loss and grief and pain in your life for good for you because it will shape you to look more like Jesus. And that's a good thing. So context is absolutely important. You know, every culture, every family, every race, every language, every people group has their own way of dealing with loss and grief. Every culture. And so we learn growing up that this is how you deal with things. And we talked about going back to go forward a few weeks ago and how we pick things up along the way that may be good and may not be good. And so we have to take a step back from what we've learned along the way and go, okay, Lord, is this 
uh, wait for it, is this biblical? Is this actually what you're calling us to do in your word? And that's a challenge. Doing things biblically is a challenge. Would you agree with that this morning? All right, would you agree with that this morning? All right, good. Because there's my way, and then there's the biblical way, and it's a battle. It's a battle. And so even when it comes to this, you know that the Bible has an approach to grief and loss. There's a whole book called Lamentations. It's written about it. The name even means lamenting, mourning. It's the name of a book in the Bible, yet we ignore it. Two-thirds of the Psalms are laments. I mean, read David's word. Oh, God, where are you? My enemy is right at my heel. Things are happening in my life that I just don't get, and it hurts. The Bible doesn't ignore. In fact, Jesus talks in the second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's a blessing to mourn because you experience the comfort of God in your life. And, there, and thereby, your soul is enlarged. You are discipled. You look more like Jesus. See, Scripture is not simply the Word of God. It's the music of God. It's the music of God. It's the thing that, that, that comforts us, that speaks to us, that directs us. And, and it's not just dry. It's alive, as Hebrew says. It's, it's a two-edged sword, right? And, and it's filled with the Spirit. And it's, it's like a song. When you hear that song come on the radio and you're transported somewhere, right? Anyone, like for me, it's the Beach Boys back to when I was a kid. I loved listening to the Beach Boys. And Petra. Any Petra fans in the house? Men. <laughs> Petra comes on, and I am 16 all over again. Some of you are like, who's Petra? Check it out. They're awesome. <laughs> so we've looked at the lives of different people. We've talked about David, David and his encounter with Saul. We talked about David and Goliath. We've talked about um, uh, Joseph and, and the process that Joseph went through. And we've talked about these different people. This morning, we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus. Now, if you're reading the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book, which I encourage you to do, pick up a copy and, and read it. It's a great book. He focuses more on Job. And I know some of you are like, you're going to preach on Job today. And I'm like, nope, I'm going to preach on Jesus. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Words will be on the screen or you can follow along in your Bible. If you have the Bible app, uh, actually have the e-bulletin e is available under the events tab and all of the points and scriptures are listed there as well. Starting in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, them being the disciples. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there to pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? 
Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is as real as it gets. See, this isn't a story. This really happened. You can go to the place in Jerusalem. You can go to the garden where Jesus wept, where he cried out to the Lord, to his father. Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, but not my will, your will be done. There's a few words I want to highlight out of this passage, and then we've got a couple of points that I'll be making this morning. Verse 37, Jesus says that he was sorrowful. He was filled with sorrow. When we picture happy Jesus, the paintings, right? Him sitting with the children coming, which is a, is a great painting. There's not very many paintings of Jesus being filled with sorrow. And, and even some of those paint him with that aura of that just kind of the glowy, right? The glowy Jesus. This was hard. This was a hard road for him. See, because we have to remember that Jesus was fully God and fully man. That he was fully God and fully man. And we, we get the fully God part. We like the fully God part. We have a hard time with the fully man part. Yet it's in that humanity that we get to identify with him. The word here used for sorrowful is, is translated as well as depressed. He was depressed. He was struggling. Gospel of Mark. In fact, Mark uses a different word, a different Greek word. And, and the, the little, literal translation of the, the word that Mark uses is that horror came over him. He was terrified. Because he knew where he was going. Also says that he was troubled. Severely distressed. That this was not a walk in the park. That this was very, very difficult. And Luke uses the word anguish. That he was experiencing anguish. It just paints such a different picture of our Lord. His humanity really showing through. Verse 38 says these words, My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. In my years as a pastor, I've had times where I've got to sit with people who are walking through some of the most difficult circumstances you can imagine. And it's not uncommon to say, hear people say, This is so hard, I wish the Lord would just take me. I would rather die. And maybe you've never been at that place, so maybe it's difficult to understand what it's like. But it paints a picture, and it's clear for us to see that, that, that we can get to that place where we can't handle it anymore. 
And it's not about just smiling and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. This is so hard that I would just rather die than keep trying to fight this fight. Jesus was experiencing that level of anguish. I'm trying to paint a picture here for us to really grasp and understand the humanity of Jesus and not just explain this moment and this circumstance and even the cross away. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 says this of Jesus. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up many prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus cried out to God with tears and agony saying, Father, I don't want to die. In fact, He actually says the word Abba, Daddy, I don't want to die. Yet in the midst of it, he says he was heard because of his reverence, that he never dishonored his father in the midst of it. And that's where we see that, not my will, your will be done. See, Jesus in Isaiah, it says this of him, and Isaiah prophesied that he would be a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Hebrews goes on to say, and the writer of Hebrews says that we can identify with Jesus. He's not unfamiliar to us because just like us, he was tempted and he suffered. And so we can look at Jesus and go, hey, I can, I can learn from him and even model my life after him and follow his example. The problem with, with shiny Jesus is I can't be that. I'm not that. And it's discouraging because I never will be. Now, I want God to conform me to that image. But man, there's a gap in between And it's in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of grief, and getting real about loss that that gap becomes smaller and we start realizing that the humanity of Jesus has direct impact on us. Verse 39 says that he felt on his face to the ground. How often our physical body actually responds to what's happening. What do do we do when we experience grief and loss? We'll cry. We'll cry. I had someone ask me after a service recently that the, the Lord was just moving in their life and they said, I'm crying and I don't know why I'm crying. And we have to understand is that so often our bodies will respond to what God's doing before our head even catches up. And why is it that when I experience pain and loss and grief that there's this physical response every part of us? Falling before God. Jesus fell. Speaks of our spiritual condition. We're broken. We're lost. We don't have anything without him. Standing, kneeling, bowing. Why do we raise our hands in worship? It speaks to our spiritual condition. God, I just need more of you. And I also honor you and magnify you. And whatever, whatever it means to you, that picture of a kid pick, lifting up their hands saying, Daddy, pick me up. I need you. That our bodies can express that. Luke chapter 22. And Luke telling about this encounter that Jesus had in the garden, it says that he prayed so earnestly and that his, his sweat was like bloods, uh, drops of blood falling to the ground. 
Jesus was pushed to the limit. He was pushed to the limit. And every part of who he was was responding to what was happening and was about to happen even physically. So what was the loss that Jesus was experiencing? Again, because we like to go, oh, Jesus just, yes, he went willingly to the cross, but he didn't go skipping to the cross. What was the loss that he experienced? This was the big one. He was cut off from his father. He knew he was going to be made sin. I don't think it was just the physical death that was freaking him out. I, for the first time in eternity, will be cut off from my father and I will be made sin. About to bear the wrath of God and his holy punishment for the entire world's sin. If there's, not, if there's something to be in anguish about, that would be it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that he who knew no sin became sin. Jesus lost something that day. He lost that connect with the Father. He lost that sinless condition, not because he sinned, but because he took it on. He just lost Judas, the betrayal of a close friend. The other 11 had deserted him. Even in the garden, can't you not watch with me and pray with me? He had been their teacher, their healer, their encourager, their supporter. He'd been everything, their friend. And yet, the loss, they're not around when he needs them. The loss of God's chosen people, Israel. Preaching and, and, and hoping that people would come to repentance, yet so many hardened their hearts. The fact that the very Creator... God incarnate would be the subject of humiliation of sinful humanity. He was handed over. He was beaten. So much loss. And you know the list goes on. But we have to remember that Jesus was not some spiritual superhero. He was God and he was man. He was both. So often in, in modern history, which would be after Jesus, writers and theologians have done so much to try and clean up the image of Jesus and make him look like that, like I reference it. That's my theological term, by the way, shiny Jesus. <laughs> the brave, safe face of serenity just going to the cross. The Garden of Gethsemane paints a very different picture, doesn't it? And you can't read that and go, oh no, they, they're just embellishing you can't make that stuff up. And for those who would say, well, the prophetic word out of Isaiah is that he would be like a lamb being led to the slaughter. The lamb doesn't speak of his demeanor. It speaks of his innocence. I say that again. Don't think that the lamb just thinks, oh, he was just meek and he just kind of went on. Because we know he didn't. The lamb speaks of the innocence of his life. And he was like a lamb led to the slaughter, but his humanity wrestled with it and struggled with it all the way there. But here's the thing to realize about Jesus. He began to encounter sorrow, but his God had restrained him from consummating the emotion. What does that mean? So often we experience loss and emotion 
and then we act out on it and we end up doing something foolish or sinful even. And that while Jesus fully engaged and fully felt everything he, he was going through, like Hebrews says, there was a reverence that he had for his father and he didn't sin in the midst of it. Why? Because of the depth of his relationship with the Father. See, Jesus wanted out. He wanted to postpone what was about to happen. If it's possible. If it's possible. If there's any other way. But Jesus, listen to this. Jesus doesn't get his miracle. Jesus prays, God, could you move in the midst of this? And what ends up happening? Jesus gets crucified. Jesus doesn't get his miracle at least not in the way that we would have wanted it to happen in our lives. We don't either. Why? Because we're not God, and we don't see what's on the other end. So how, what do we learn from Jesus in the midst of this? There's two things I want to focus on this morning. Two things. Christ models and shows us a whole new way of being a human being, by the way. We think we've got to figure it out. We don't know nothing. That there's a way that Jesus has called us to live. Here are the two things we're going to talk about that we can learn from Jesus. First is this, listen to the interruption. Listen. Listen to the interruption. Don't try and get past it, and I'll pack that, unpack that in a second. And then we're going to talk about learning to fall. That we need to learn to fall. So listen to the interruption. Interruptions are just that. They're interruptions. We don't plan them, right? Hey, I'm going to plan an interruption at this point in my day, right? Interruptions happen. We have teachers in the class. You guys, I mean, teachers in the, in the church and in your classroom, interruptions happen, right? And it can throw off your day. It can throw off your class. It can throw off the rhythm. And interruptions, you don't plan them. In fact, you, you plan not to have them. Losses are interruptions, when we experience the pain of loss and things are taken away and we lose them suddenly, they're interruptions not just to our day but to our lives and the plans that we have. And, and, and our tendency is this, we just want to ignore it. If I just pretend it's not there, it'll go away. Doesn't work. Loss and grief comes into all of our lives, every one of us. Death, divorce, Breakups, illness, crushing disappointments, abuse, dreams dashed, relationships broken, never to be restored, failures, our children, our parents, doors and opportunities that close, painful memories of decisions we've made and people we've hurt. Every one of us will feel loss and grief in our lives. And all of us will experience loss and grief, not just once, but over and over and over again. Our culture, and especially in the church, uh, we adopt this kind of posturing as this. Don't feel too, too much. Don't, don't, don't allow yourself to, to have experienced too much emotion. We, we want to put on a smile or, or we just don't talk about it. We've mentioned this in weeks before, but it's that encounter in church where you say, say to someone, hey, are you doing today? And you have to make a choice to actually tell them how you're really doing or tell them the answer they want to hear or you think they want to hear. What if, 
What if we could be a church where anyone could walk through those doors on any given Sunday morning and come in and just talk to someone and say, hey, my life is a mess. I just lost this. This is going on. And, And the person that you're talking to doesn't freak out or get weird about it. But we choose to walk with each other through grief and loss and say it's okay to feel the emotion and, and we're not going to make it awkward. Stuff it. Numb the pain. Or how about this one? Stay busy. If I just stay busy, the emotion can't ca- catch up with me. You can't stay that busy forever. But a lot of people try. And the result of this is that we lose control. We lose control of ourselves. We lose control of our faith. See, I can't reconcile faith in a God who would allow me to, to walk through loss and grief. How could God let this happen to me? Why would he let this happen to me? Where is God in the midst of this? And is God really loving? And, and as we start questioning that, we question ourselves. Did I hear wrong? Am I really saved? Does Jesus really love me? The next layer then is shame and guilt. Now I'm feeling guilty and shameful because I'm thinking the things and feeling the things that I'm feeling about who I am and who God is. And you see this downward spiral and I've met people who have literally been on this downward spiral for decades because something happened and I can't get out of the flat spin. And the last place I want to be is in church. Because every time I go there, I feel inadequate. I feel like I'm broken. I feel like I'm a failure. So we fake it and we pretend. Because at the end of the day, good Christians don't get hurt, don't get confused, don't get discouraged, right? No. Jesus was a good Christian, amen? (laughs) Right? Jesus was a good Christian, yet in the garden he struggled. Truth is, yes, we do get hurt, we do get confused, we do get discouraged, we experience loss, we experience grief. Take a deep breath. Can everyone just take a deep breath? I know this is heavy. But we don't want to gloss it over, right? Jesus was entirely human. There are those who try to reject that humanity, as I mentioned before. But it's in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus gives us permission to feel. Because if Jesus was allowed to feel and struggle and cry out, then we can too. If I'm supposed to be more like Jesus, I, can, I get that. Walking on water, not so much. Crying in the garden because you're in pain, yeah, I can do that. Right? It makes it tangible for us. So often I think today we would rewrite the Bible to fit our idea of who Jesus is, really our theology. See, when Jesus comes up to the tomb and finds out that Lazarus is dead, what does the Bible say he does? He weeps. He weeps. I think if we had to rewrite the Bible today with our our, our current Again, this is big, broad strokes, okay? But our Western Christian theology, we would say Jesus walked up and said to them, hey guys, don't you know that I'm the son of God? I've got this, I've got this handled. 
Stop your sniveling. Stop your crying. Lazarus, just come out and just prove me right. No, Jesus weeps with them. He knows he's about to raise the guy from the dead, but he weeps with them because God is compassionate and he cares about our pain. God cares about your pain. How about Jerusalem? When Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he weeps and his heart is broken because they've rejected him. He says, I have longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks to cover you and protect you. I think if we were to rewrite it, we would have said something like this. Jesus looked at Jerusalem and said, you had your chance. I'm out of here. I'm going to go reach those people who actually want to hear me. Knuckleheads. Right? Because it fits me. Because that's how I would respond. Or even the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think we would have written Jesus on the cross singing, Victory in Jesus. A great hymn. A great hymn. But it doesn't mean that Jesus suffered. And we want to put on the smiley face and sing the victorious song and not embrace the pain. See, there's a mystery here. And God, God reveals himself. He reveals himself all throughout history and all throughout scripture. We see the man of Jesus. He's made known to us. And yet, there are times when God is absolutely hidden from us and we don't see him. His presence isn't there, and he appears to be absent. It's Jesus in the garden crying out to his father, knowing that he's loved, but going, I sure feel a gap right now. There's a professor, a Yale professor named Nicholas Walter Storff. I practiced actually saying his name. I still couldn't get it right. His 25-year-old son, Eric, was killed in a mountain climbing accident. Now, this is a theology professor at Yale, and this is what he writes. Eric was bursting with plans. Now it's all gone. All the rich future he held, gone in those tumbling seconds. Nothing fills the void of his absence. He's not replaceable. We can't go out and, just, and get another just like him. There's a hole in the world now. In the place where he was, there's just nothing. Only a gap remains. Please don't say it's not really so bad, because it is. Death is awful, demonic. I cannot fit it all together by saying, I can only endure with Job. Let me read that again, because it came out all sideways. I cannot fit it all together by just saying, I can only endure with Job, just like Job I endure. I do not know why God did not prevent Eric's death. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I also believe my son's life was cut off in its prime. I cannot fit these pieces together. I am at a loss. To the most agonizing question I have ever asked, I do not know the answer. I do not know why God would watch him fall. I do not know, I do not know why God would watch me. I don't 
know. And not knowing is so hard for us. I'll personalize it. In the mid-1980s, my grandmother, Granny Venn, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Aggressive. Very aggressive. She was given three months to live. And after surgery and some treatment, she actually lived for three more years. But because it was brain surgery, it had impacted her mind. And, and so she didn't function the same. And, and really, she was alive, but, but we had lost her. Probably one of the most godly women I've ever met. My granny loved Jesus. Faithfully attended church. My grandfather made beautiful, carved this beautiful prayer bench for her. I remember it in her sewing room, and she would spend hours on her knees praying. And of course, as a family who loved Jesus, we're going, why God? Why her? Why her? She passed away at age of 56. At the same time, in the same season, my cousin Justin, her grandson, seven years old, gets diagnosed with cancer. And as a family is already hurting and grieving, now we're just beyond ourselves. How could he have cancer? Interestingly, my mom is one of five siblings, and Justin's dad, Uncle Ken, at that point, was the only one who wasn't walking with Jesus. Justin didn't grow up in a Christian home. Didn't go to Sunday school. Yet his cancer went into remission. He was healed. Justin um, just got married and they had their first baby. And by the way... Justin, Justin loves the Lord. It, 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 it wrecked our family because it threw us into this dilemma where we watched one person fade and pass away and another one, life be spared. How do you make sense of that? My grandfather's church at the time, here's, you know what they said to him? They said to him, you know what, Hank, Norman, you need to have the faith to make her better. If she doesn't get better, it's because you don't have enough faith. And, I th and his pastor said this to him, I believe it's because there's sin in your life that your wife is sick. I grew up in church. I've been a Christian since I was five. And at, when I heard that, I hated the church. My grandfather was a mess to, really till the day he died because of the impact of those words on his life. Because after my granny died, he carried the shame and the guilt that it was his fault. Can I just tell you, that advice and those words are both unbiblical and inhuman. And there's just these points in life where we just have to, have to go, I don't know. There's no answer. And the disciples say to Jesus, this man who's crippled from birth, whose sin was it? And he says, you're in error, you're wrong, your thinking is messed up. 
Church, we have to move out of a place as a church where our thinking is messed up and we stop beating people up because they're in pain. And it's okay to say, don't know. And not ignore and go, well, if we just, time will heal our wounds. It's not true. You can't stuff the pain. We have to walk through the pain. We have to listen to the interruption. The amazing thing with my granny is I know where she is. We get to celebrate a life that was spared. And now another generation that has been born. Can't make sense of it. But we have to keep going through and we have to listen to the interruption. God, what are you doing in the midst of this? Second is this. We have to learn to fall. We have to learn to fall. There are places and times. I grew up in a country where we play rugby. And, uh, and in rugby, you learn to tackle, and you learn how to fall. Because you're just getting nailed, right? But you have to learn how to hit the ground so you can keep playing. Learning to fall is important. There are times in life where you will be brought low. It's going to happen. It might be happening right now. And you will want to fight it, not embrace it. Because it's just the way we're wired. I don't want to embrace the pain. It just sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? Are we awake? Are you still with me? All right. I know there was, a, there was a, quite a gear change right there. But we need to learn to fall. We need to learn to embrace and not fight the pain, the loss, the grief. To walk through it in a healthy way. To trust God when we don't feel him. To trust God when we're hurting. And while I knew my granny was in a better place, I also know that it was really hard to walk through that season. And I didn't just put on a smiley face and say, well, she's with Jesus. Hallelujah. No, I missed my granny. I don't feel you right now, God, but I trust you. God, I'm hurting right now, but I trust you. See, We've adopted in, in our culture what's known as a spirituality of ascent. A spirituality of ascent, which means this, and it's really Western culture. Higher, better, bigger, smarter, more successful. That we're always aiming up. And if anything takes us off that upward course, then it can't be good. Spirituality of ascent. Now, we are supposed to grow deeper and get closer to Jesus, but it doesn't always, it's not always going to look like an upward t- trajectory that sometimes Jesus will humble us and he will bring us low so that he can remove things from our lives so that we can continue to look more like him, which is the ultimate pursuit. See, there's gems that are hidden in the trash. In the dark seasons, in the pain, there's things that are revealed that we would never see otherwise. Gems about yourself. You will discover things about who you are in seasons of grief. Good things. I didn't know I had the capacity to care for people that way. I didn't realize I, I, I could feel so deeply. There's things that you discover and you go, wow, 
God, I wouldn't have seen that if I didn't walk through that experience. You learn things about God, gems, treasures that we receive about who God is. God, I got to see a different aspect of your character and your love for me that I would never have seen if I didn't walk through that pain. And gems about others. People standing with you, rallying to your side, encouraging, being a blessing to you that you would never see had you not had time to walk through what you're walking through. You will discover these things. So in learning to fall, a few things happen. First of all, learning to fall breaks our self-will. The part of me that says, I know better. I know better. Hebrews 5.8 says this of Jesus, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He learned obedience through what he suffered. He learned obedience through what he suffered. We get to do the same. See, Jesus' flesh was not imaginary. He was not a ghost. He didn't put on a spacesuit, right? He was fully human. And the truth of that picture in the Garden of Gethsemane is that he lay on the ground before the unfathomable will and power of God. And he said, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will. He knew the cup. Let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go to the cross. He struggled. He wanted an out. But he brings it to the Father and he says, it's not about what I want, it's about what you want. And I'm going to feel what I'm feeling, but I'm going to trust you and follow you. Jesus learned obedience. He didn't just automatically do it. He learned obedience. True obedience, church, is not an easy thing. It's work. It's hard. A struggled, learned, prayed for obedience is true obedience. A struggled, learned, prayed for obedience is true obedience. And the process can be severe, but it is merciful. We need to learn to fall. The other thing it does is learning to fall brings us finally to a place of deep love and letting go. You have to let it go. Some of you are singing the song in your head. And if it was you, just raise your hand and be honest. All right, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Disney, for that. We have to let go of our need to have all of the answers and look good and have it all together and to just even understand what's happening around. We have to let it go. And we have to be okay letting it go. See, each one of us is brought to the cliff's edge at certain points in our lives. And at such moments, we either back away in bitterness and confusion or we leap forward into the mystery of God that says he's doing something more in this moment. I don't see it. I don't get it. But God, I trust you. And we hand ourselves over to him. Is that not the picture of Jesus? God, I don't want to do this. And this really hurts. But your will be done, not my will be done. And, and what was on the other end, by the way, of the cross? Resurrection. 
and salvation for all mankind. But it didn't make the, the cross any less difficult. See, we have to cross the line from the knowing and into the mystery, from the control into letting it go. I've got to tell you, this so often happens in the quiet places of your life. Remember I said, what happens with a lot of people in the midst of loss and grief, they get busy and they stay busy. And if I don't stop long enough to think about it, I'll be okay. The reality is you'll be okay when you sit at the feet of Jesus. When you quiet your heart and you listen to what He has to say to you, you find comfort in His presence, but you have to stop. Notice that Jesus in the garden, He goes with His friends. Jesus wanted His friends close by. Can I get an amen? He wanted his friends close by. In fact, he brought his closest, closest friends with him. So some of them stayed a little further, and some he brought real close. And what ends up happening? They fell asleep. They weren't there for him. This journey so often is very lonely because you can be the, you're the only one who can grieve for yourself. I can... I can feel empathy for you, but I can't grieve for you. See, at the end of the day, even though his friends were close, it was about Jesus and his father. At the end of the day, it's about you being with your Abba, with your heavenly father and experiencing his love in your life in a tangible way without someone else having to be there with you. That's a tough one for us in the modern church. Third thing that learning fall does is it empties our hearts of junk, making more space for God to fill. It's kind of a good cleaning out. You ever had just a really good cry? Right? Guys, any guys just had a really good cry? All right, good. I'm in good company. When you've experienced loss and you just weep, and at the end of it, you don't know why, but you just feel like, <sighs> knowing that you're probably going to cry some more, but in that moment, what's happening? God is giving you a greater capacity. He's emptying junk out of us. He's cleaning us out, and he's saying, listen, I'm going to expand who you are. Loss creates space for the love of God to come into my life. There's a reason that after 9-11, our churches were full. Because when it comes down to it, we don't know how to process loss on our own. It's at that point we recognize there's got to be someone more or something more. I need help. Why is it that people who never utter the name of Jesus Christ in the midst of a tra tragedy just say, hey, we just need everyone to pray. Pray to who? Pray to Why? Because you're wired when loss happens and you call on the name of the Lord. He does something in you. His love is revealed in your life. It gives you greater place. Hope is birthed. Hope is birthed. We understand that God is on the throne. Maybe not right away. But it's the long view. And finally is this. Learning to fall. At the heart of, the, it, heart of it is this, is that prayer is at the center of discipleship. That I realize, like I was just saying, that when I am at a loss, the only place I can turn to is Jesus. 
And so prayer doesn't become something to pray away the pain. It becomes the avenue by which I embrace Him. Depending on Him. See, strength is not the result of willpower or action or zeal, but it is the result of prayer. I'm strengthened in prayer on my knees before my Father, going, I don't get it, I don't understand, and this hurts, but I trust you. I trust you. So what does this mean for us this morning? Here's my invitation to you. This is a lot. I get it. This is a lot. And I I realize with as many people in the room this morning, it's impacted this sermon, these words, these, these passages have impacted us all different. In different ways, because we're a different people, feeling different emotions, experiencing different kinds of loss. But here's my invitation to you. Persevere. When you come to seasons of loss and grief, persevere. Don't let the enemy get that place where he can say, your faith has waned. You're not really a believer. Persevere in God. Persevere on your knees. Push through. Get alone with God and let Him speak to you in the quiet places. Be broken before Him. Cry out to Him. Weep. Shout. Amen? And then find people that you love and trust that can be real with you and you can be real with them. Come on, church. Let's push beyond surface Christianity. Let's get below the surface because the world is hurting. And until we go here, we won't be able to help them. (laughs) Let's stand together. Jesus, you faced your loss and your pain head on. You agonized and you struggled. And Lord, I'm just thankful today that that was written in the Word of God. That you didn't leave that part out. Because this morning we're encouraged, as hard as it is to hear and even talk about these things. Lord, we recognize this morning that going here and having these conversations is is difficult for us as a culture. Lord, that we tout the privacy. It's just, it's my private life. I don't want anyone to see or or we mask things or cover them up or we just try to have the smiley face. But to be reminded this morning, Jesus, that you felt deeply and you invite us to do the same. And in the midst of the emotion, in the midst of the feeling that God, you meet us there and that you speak to us and that you encourage us and that you bless us and that you enlarge our souls to encounter more of who you are. And Lord, my prayer this morning over this church, over this body, Lord, is that those places of grief and pain and loss in our lives, Lord Jesus, would you come and minister right now? Not that you would just take it away but that you would give the strength and the endurance to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. To pray a prayer that says, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing, but I'm trusting that you know what you're doing. So I trust you with my life. I pray that we would be a church who learns to let it go. (laughs) That we would be a people who feel deeply, who go to the deep places with you. 
so that we're ready not just to walk in a deeper relationship with you, but that we're also ready to encounter a world that's hurting and doesn't know where to turn. In Jesus' name, amen.